0: Three, two, one. Hit it. What? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for seriously, a Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't Jeez. with some of these people. Look down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, Would you rather? Right, trust me, take no, my but advice. seriously, that legit happened. Hamalom, That's hello. Namaste. Shalom, and welcome to Nervous Habits. I have got an exciting episode in store for all of you, where my guest and I are going to be diving into, first, the coronavirus, what are the long-term economic and socio-political impacts that this virus will have on our society, and then we'll be diving into cancer. We'll be looking at issues including, is it true that everything we use, from cell phones to microwaves to artificial sweeteners, can cause cancer? Is there a cure out there that the pharma companies don't want us to know about? How does machine learning and AI figure into this? And has anyone tried just giving cancer to the cancer? All that and so much more on this week's episode of Nervous Habits. How's it going, guys? I have back here friend of the pod, Stephanos Axios, returning for his third tour of duty with the podcast. Stephanos, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks, Ricky. I can't believe it's my third time. Yeah, really happy to be back.
0: Always really fun. Well, we're we're happy to happy to have you, Stefanos. You've appeared on two prior episodes of the pod. Um, we've we've been through a lot together in this this podcast. Fearne, uh spoke about. I think the first one we did was on aging. If you haven't listened to episode seventeen, which was really fascinating, and I think we did space travel or space colonization, and then the last one we did was. Uh,
1: I think it was cryptocurrency, maybe the Federal Reserve. Um, the other
0: I think one. it was, yeah, I think it was AI in the in the workforce moving yeah, virtual, which yeah, is that was it. which is funny because now with everything that's going on in the world that that we'll dive into, I feel like that episode is going to be more more, uh, you know applicable to like, like, you know, the modern day climate. So just in case you're curious, so Stefanos holds a BA in economics from Brandeis University. That's actually where we met a master's degree from Columbia in mechanical engineering. And if that wasn't enough, Stefanos is currently studying at the Harvard School of Continuing Education, pursuing requisites in, uh, towards medical school in the event that he decides to to be a doctor, a whimsical pursuit there. Um, so obviously, I feel like I'm reading, reading out your bio before you're, you're delivering a speech, but um, obviously, Stefanos, you're you know, super well-rounded, and, and I think people are really curious to have what you, to hear what you have to say on the epidemiology of corona. And cancer sure
1: yeah
0: sounds great let's get into it all right let's let's uh, let's get into it I mean so initially we we had planned to just chat about cancer, but you know with i I think we you and I have had spoken about this potential episode for a long time, and with everything that's happened in the world since it, I think we'd be remiss to ignore what's happened with coronavirus um and just so the listeners know, I tend to uh, record these episodes about anywhere from you know two weeks to six weeks in advance. So, you know, we're recording this in mid March, um, to be released probably in mid or late April. Do you think, Stefanos, that by the time this podcast episode is released next month, coronavirus will be as widespread and as much of a, a public topic of a conversation as it is today in March?
1: I mean, I can only anticipate it getting worse. I think we're I think we're at the beginning of this, uh especially here in Boston, I think we had a big outbreak uh, at a Biogen conference, and it's it just it seems like we're in the early stages of what Italy might have been experiencing uh, a few weeks ago. So I think maybe come April, we're uh, in the middle of the worst part of it. I'm going to chew gum, Ricky, just let me know if it gets, like, obnoxious.
0: So, and you, you know, you mentioned Italy, and I think that it's actually pretty interesting. I don't know if you saw the graphic in South Korea with patient 31. No, actually, I haven't. There was an interesting Reuters article where they essentially were talking about how there were initially 30 patients in South Korea that were diagnosed with coronavirus, and the 31st patient didn't take it seriously and ended up going to church, going to a hotel buffet. The article actually tracks the movements of this person throughout the course of a day. And then from there, they went to the hospital. And as a result of their um, activities, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention of South Korea actually determined that this person gave coronavirus to thousands of people in the region that they were in contact with. So it goes to show you, you know, if people don't take this seriously, what kind of a widespread impact it can have.
1: Yeah. Actually, I just found the article myself. It's interesting. And they're using the term, they're describing patient 31 as a, a super spreader, which is a term I was unfamiliar with until a few days ago. Um, they described the the um, person in Boston at the Biogen conference that spread it to over 100 people as a super spreader, somebody with greater propensity than average to transmit the virus. Um, so it's interesting to read. Yeah, this patient 31 is also being described as a super spreader. And uh, the person at the Biogen conference was, uh, was described similarly, similarly.
0: So, Sevenos, you, you live in Boston right now, um, I'm obviously here in D.C., I'm not sure what the reaction is up in New England, but, you know, here in D.C., people are pretty much mandatorily, whatever, they're quarantining, um, for, day, you know, days, weeks, do you think, first of all, is that what the the climate is like in Boston? And do you think this kind of reaction is warranted?
1: Um, so the climate in Boston is—it sounds like it's pretty similar to New York. I, I can't say DC. I'm not sure that, and, oh, in DC, and yeah, sure, yeah, right, DC. Uh, def- definitely very similar to DC. Um, a lot of uh, public institutions have been closing. I mean, no museums I know of are open at this time. Schools have all been closed. My sister is is home for the next two weeks. Um, so a lot of schools are uh, doing e-learning in the meantime Um, a friend of mine who works at a uh, an after-school program he's also uh, essentially he's he's working from home he has to do all his uh, teaching via like zoom conferencing Um, so i I think it's pretty similar to dc it's a, a concerted attempt to limit uh large gatherings
0: honestly i mean if you bought stock in zoom then you're you're pretty much set because my school georgetown law is going onto zoom full-time for all 400 of their classes as well as uh, yeah. co- private colleges public colleges a lot of um, high schools are, are moving onto zoom so I'm not, I'm not even sure how the platform will have the capacity for all this um, that's a good point. but certainly i mean that kind of migration that's that's I I don't know if we've ever seen something like it before. Uh, and when you talk about needing to contain the spread of Corona, what you know, what's the rationale behind that?
1: Well, I think it comes down to uh, limiting the spread of the COVID nineteen to more vulnerable, the more vulnerable population. So even though you, know, you and I were, I think the CDC would describe us as a low risk population, uh, we still have the capacity to transmit it to parts of the population that are maybe more vulnerable, uh, po- parts of the population with uh, risk factors that could make this uh, a much more severe disease. Um, so I think the, the idea is we want to limit our contact uh, as a whole to limit the, the likelihood of spreading it to a more vulnerable population. Uh, and on top of that, I think the idea is you know, the healthcare system can only, only has so much capacity. So if we don't limit contact, uh, the healthcare system might be overburdened because these viruses have a tendency uh, to transmit exponentially. Uh, so there's a term going around flattening the curve, and the idea is that this, uh, these viruses will transmit exponentially uh, without some sort of um, uh, concerted or uh, intentional limit on the, the amount of transmissions. Uh, so we want to flatten that curve and spread out the um, number of infections over time. Uh, the healthcare system can maybe deal with it over a period of a year, six months to a year, but it's going to be hard pressed to deal with so many cases in a month.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've read online that America only has eight hundred thousand hosp- uh, public hospitals, as well as a hundred thousand ventilators. So even if we flatten the curve, there are people that think that we the healthcare system still won't be able to accommodate everyone that gets sick and that needs, um, you know, needs medical care for this. And the other thing you know, I want to delve into with the economic implication is if people are staying inside and, and they 're you know being urged to essentially quarantine themselves to limit their exposure to the outside world, not to attend public gatherings. you see the sports leagues have canceled they 've shut down, movies are, are delayed in production um, bar i 'm sure restaurants and bars are going to close. What kind of an impact is that going to have on our economy
1: uh, i mean the short term impact. I mean, the impact is going to be hard to assess right now. We won't know for a few months uh, once we get start getting un- unemployment numbers, uh, unemployment insurance claims, uh, GDP growth. But it certainly seems like it's having an effect already. Like industries like the tur- tourism industry, hospitality industry, the food industry, energy, uh, airline industry—they're all suffering, and uh, the effect of these, the giant drop in sales. So we won't know what the what the long term impact will be for for a few months. But it definitely doesn't seem. Doesn't seem like it bodes well. I mean the eleven year bull run is officially over. Yeah. Uh, you know, the stock market's not, not doing so great right now.
0: I mean, you know, speaking of the stock market, is this something that can trigger a nineteen, you know, thirty style Great Depression? I mean, you see I'm sure you know you're watching, you're monitoring the Dow and the um, the S and P. You see that every day it's it's getting worse and worse. And I know the government um, a couple days ago, again, this was recorded in mid March, but a couple days ago, essentially injected a couple trillion dollars specific well,
1: businesses. The government in, in, Injected one and a half trillion dollars into what's called a repo loan, but it was essentially uh, loan, short term loans to banks to maintain liquidity. Um, but yeah, it's some pretty extreme measures by the federal government to um, maintain liquidity in the in the market.
0: So, 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 I mean, but how does that how does that bode for the potential for another? 2008-style recession or, or even a depression?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're looking at anything like that. I mean, the fundamentals of the economy, I think, are still solid. I mean, the 2008 recession and the depression in the 1930s were, were pointing more towards poor fundamentals. In 2008, we had the uh, inflated um, housing housing market um, supported by really poor, poorly constructed uh, uh, loans. And in the 1930s, we had a really uh, overly inflated uh, stock market. So I, I don't think right now, I don't think this is pointing towards some catastrophic recession like that. Um, I think in the near term, it might result in a, a small drop in business activity. and might result in a small recession, but well, certainly nothing pointing towards something catastrophic.
0: Kind of to counter that though, you have these businesses, particularly small businesses that are not part of you know, the Walmarts or the, the apples of the world that are dependent on, you know, continuous consumer spending, aren't these businesses going to close down?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see what the effects of that are. I mean, we'll know on the first Friday of April, what, uh, what the layoff numbers were like, You'll, you'll job numbers are released that day and we'll see how many layoffs happened, how many people were claiming unemployment. And that could have some ripple effect where now you have people unemployed and are no longer purchasing as much. And, you know, like you said, our economy is heavily dependent on consumption. In fact, I think uh, 60 to 70 percent of our GDP is based on domestic consumption. So we'll see what the effects are. But it doesn't seem like we have any underlying uh, financial uh, issues, fundamentals that that might uh, put put us into some major recession or depression.
0: I mean, on that note, if you have m- millions of people who are either laid off, I mean, I'm disregarding people who can work home from home, but people in the service industry, Stefanos, who are laid off, who are working for these, um, you know, these retail stores, these restaurants, who are out of a job, how are they going to put money on the, you know, put money on the table? <laughs> how are they going to put food on the table for their families? It, is do we need a situation like Andrew Yang is suggesting, where everyone uh, gets yeah. like a short-term universal right. basic income?
1: Right. Um, maybe. I mean, I think uh, hopefully the administration and the legislative branch is considering some sort of uh, aid package. I mean, I know it was declared a national emergency recently, but what's interesting though is I looked, uh, if you read some articles, companies aren't necessarily uh, immediately laying off employees. So we, if COVID-19, if we start to gain some handle of the situation, uh, you might not see uh, people in these uh, industries uh, necessarily become uh, unemployed. It's I think in part because of the tight labor market we're in. and because of that tight labor market and company sentiment that maybe this won't last so long, they don't want to give up their employees. So it seems like, long story short, a lot of companies are, are in a wait-and-see approach. They're not necessarily laying people off. They're just kind of uh, taking the hit in the meantime. Uh, certainly, if this does get far worse and it does take you know, it does last quite a bit longer, uh, I think you're right. We're the, the government's going to have to step in and uh, support these people in the industries that are most affected.
0: And can you imagine I mean it's interesting like we've never had anything like this in America. can you imagine being a kid and growing up and I, I mean think about how this is going to shape the foundation of, of you know these these people's childhoods that they probably can't see their friends and they can't go to school i, I, I it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy when you think about it like that also
1: oh yeah, I agree my little sister's like bored out of her mind right now I, my mom uh won't let her friends come over and she like can't go to school and she no longer can go to piano practice she can't do gymnastics uh go to her gymnastics meets well you know um, so she's really limited in what she can do I and mean, she's going to have to find a way to be creative it's,
0: it's, it's actually funny i mean i think that some businesses are thri- or not. you know some services are thriving at times like today i think netflix is probably going to be way up um pretty yeah. much all the streaming services i think i think i do think podcasts you know there's a great opportunity for for podcasters like myself because People like your sister are just sitting around waiting to, you know, be relieved of their boredom.
1: I wonder what's going to happen tonight with the debate Bernie Biden. I mean, now the NBA season's down, the MLB, uh, NHL, there's really not much to watch and people can't leave their house. It's probably going to be some pretty, I hope they're... You know, we maybe we'll get some record ratings.
0: Record ratings. Well, well, I will say, um, you know, a lot of uh, talk shows are now recording without live audiences, like the Ellen DeGeneres show and the um, yeah. Stephen Colbert his show. I mean, some of them have even suspended production altogether. But to your point about the debates, and and you know, I, I also want to talk about that. Like, what kind of an impact is this going to have on you know the upcoming presidential election? Not only because all the candidates are in their late seventies, but also because if schools are closed, how are states going to hold primaries, let alone the general election?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think I read that Louisiana is actually postponing its primary. I, I, what? I read that yesterday. That might, might, I believe that's correct. How can they—I
0: uh, I, I don't even know if they can do that. I mean, they can do whatever they want, but I've never heard of that before.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that's what I read. Because I, I think uh, a lot of their employees that are working at the polling stations are like over 65. So they're really concerned that the— uh, The you transmit the probability of transmitting the infection at this primary uh, is high
0: right and 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 you know what's interesting also on that note is because older people if you look at the breakdown right now again we're in we're in mid-march so i don't know if this comes out in mid-april if we we might already have the democratic nominee but if you look at right now uh, vice president biden most people who are supporting him are older they're like you know in their 60s and 70s and people who support Senator Sanders are you know they're like the under 40 group so if the primary is happening what's going to happen is a lot of these older people will be too afraid to go out to, to vote in the primary and the younger people will come out and vote for Sanders so this could actually shape who who is who the nomin, you know the nominee is right
1: yeah i mean if if there was ever a, a hail mary <laughs> uh, i guess scenario for, for for a political candidate i think this is bernie's chance to, to take advantage.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's also funny because um, I, I'm sure you saw that uh, Trump was in Mar-a-Lago with Pence and there was some Brazilian ambassador or something who- Brazilian
1: ambassador or premier, yeah. I yeah,
0: and he was found to have corona and Trump was, t- was uh, tested for corona and he allegedly tested negative, but I've been joking around with, with some uh, law school classmates that like even if Trump was positive, tested positively with corona, he would just deny that he has it.
1: Yeah, right. It's it's hard to trust what he's saying these
0: days. I can see the tweets now: fake news, CNN, and the failing New York Times are reporting that I have corona. Not true! Exclamation <laughs> point. Um, and the the other element that I want to discuss with corona, because cause, you know, obviously we want to turn to to cancer. Obviously, you know, there's only one big C disease allowed at a time. But um, the other thing I want to talk about with corona is how this is going to shape, or how rather the form of government we have is shaping our national response to this. And I know you have some opinions on whether or not China might have an easier job containing this as an authoritarian regime compared to America.
1: I think um, the, the outbreak started in China three months ago. Mm-hmm. And I think the, most recently I read that uh, China is starting to open Wuhan back up um, People are allowed on the streets. I think maybe businesses are are, uh, opening their doors again. So it took three months for them, it seems like, to thwart the worst of this virus. Uh, But they have far, much greater, far-reaching powers that we do. Uh, So I wonder if, given our not so powerful, uh, we're not able to, given our lack of uh, enforcement capability uh, that the democratic system affords us, will we be able to combat the virus as well as the authoritarian uh, regime in China is able to? Uh, and I guess we'll see. I mean, it, Italy, uh, it didn't go, it ha- isn't going so well in Italy, uh, from what I've heard.
0: From what you've heard. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because I think it presents pretty much the, the core philosophical question at the heart of any political theoretical debate is, is freedom more important than general welfare? Because... In America, people are free to go out in public and lick poles and give other people coronavirus, right? Like you you can't arrest someone for being an asshole. Um, In China, the authoritarian government forces people to go – to stay inside um, and if you go outside, you will be detained, right? So this is the question is like at times like this, does America – does the government need to be – More authoritarian, you see all the time in times of war. The Civil War, Lincoln suspended habeas corpus. In World War One, there were the Sedition Acts, and also I think the War of eighteen twelve, where they were suppressing speech. So it's it's it'll be interesting to see if this does escalate, if the government has to step up, at least the federal government, because the state governments, I'm sure you've been following, the governors of states have have started, you know, um, promulgating rules where you can't be out past. A certain time like a curfew or no public gatherings so the states are stepping up but it remains to be seen if the federal government is going to have a similar response
1: right yeah i mean it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see i mean it took three months for china We're here we are at the beginning uh here in the united states three months from now if things go well we'll be opening up shops again uh people are back on the streets and schools open time will tell
0: yeah and then I mentioned a couple episodes back. Again, these I know these were recorded at weird times, but a couple episodes back, I talked about the impact that this is going to have on have on mental health. You know, if everyone does engage in you know social distancing, which by the way, had, had you heard the term social distancing before Corona? I had never heard of it.
1: No, never. So it sounds like antisocial behavior. Yeah.
0: So if people engage in this social distancing, it's like a lot of a lot of folks are going to develop like depression, seasonal affective disorder. People are going to get lonely. People might commit suicide. But
1: it's – What does this do to um, traditional uh, gestures and greetings? I mean does the handshake – does it uh, – do we opt not to do handshakes in the, in the future? Does that go to the wayside in any way or is this just temporary? Well, that, that uh, – you yeah. know a lot of my coworkers won't – I mean I, I, I try not to shake their hands and I think most coworkers are doing the same. We'll see what that does to our, 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 I guess, our culture.
0: It's interesting because I do think this is like a landmark point in like American or worldwide um, like anthropological like interaction because what – because if you think about it, the handshake developed, you know, who knows, hundreds of years ago because it just started becoming a tradition that was uh, molded over time and now you might have – like this is a perfect opportunity for some alternative form where even once coronavirus goes away, people just bump elbows or or politely nod. Um, right. And there's been a lot of good articles uh, about how, you know, for germaphobes, this is a dream come true because they hate shaking hands anyway. So I do think it will have lasting impacts on our culture.
1: Yeah. I mean I just – would. I think the, the, the handshake, it tells a lot about a person, or so people say. So I wonder, it's like like in the future, it'll be that, that it's like a strong nod, or like, a, it's a good elbow. <laughs>
0: it's like, wow, that, it's like that guy had a nice firm elbow. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it's funny because we have some friends, like I think of, I think it's Jeremy, where when he shakes your hand, he like... <laughs> <laughs> he like brutally like wounds you, um, and there are there are like people who give you the fish hand. Uh, you're right. A handshake is a central part of um, communication. Yeah, and and I don't. know. It's just it's crazy. These are these are crazy times, man. And it really it puts things in perspective. It makes you think about what's important. And you know, like for me as as a law student, I it's easy to get swallowed up by exams and grades and studying and forget what's going on in the world but this really makes you like realize that some things in life are more, more important than law school I don't know if you've had the same impression because you're kind of like in in the pseudo medical field now
1: it really hasn't hit me I'm, I'm just trying to be as personally responsible as I can I haven't had I haven't had too much um, time to think about it. Yeah. It, it it's I haven't thought about it in an ex- existential sense that that maybe you have I just I haven't been going to my grandparents, that's, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, your your grand, your grand grandpa is 90 years old? Yeah, 90 years old. And, uh...
1: But uh, he's been self-isolating for the 30 years in the <laughs> United States, so he has... I don't think he's going to have any problems.
0: He's been preparing his whole life for this. You said he doesn't speak any English.
1: Zero English, 30 years here. He just uh, does not want to acclimate. What's his name? Uh, it's my name. He has the same name. <laughs> Wait, do you, do you mean it's his name? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> grandpa, <laughs> you
0: guess... Grandpa Stefanos, he survived World War 2, he survived Korea, Vietnam, he survived and now, you know, hopefully he survives Corona as well. Yep. It's funny um hopefully Grandpa Stefanos uh, li- listens to this as well, but my great aunt Ruth, you know, she's she's turning 100 um wow. next month and um hopefully, you know, she's in in great health and and positive spirits as well. Um w- you know, we had planned uh, a birthday party for her to celebrate her inauguration into the Centarians. But who knows if that's going to happen? That sounds like pretty risky, all things considered because we have a very big family, so if you have if you're listening to this and you have grandparents or great aunts and uncles, you know check in on them, but probably opt for a phone call rather than an in-person visit. I think a lot of nursing homes aren't even letting you in right now i I have yeah, heard that. That's
1: right yeah I've
0: heard that um, so I do want to shift the discussion from one morbid <laughs> disease to another. Uh, th- what do you think? The big C is cancer, the little C is uh, is corona yeah so cancers maybe the scariest two syllable word out there. Uh, of course, you know the little c Corona is only is it's three syllables, but cancers become more common than tuberculosis, malaria, HIV, and AIDS combined throughout the world. Um, cancer is the second leading cause of death in America after heart disease. And there are more than 14 million new cases diagnosed globally each year. About 38% of people, all people will have cancer at some point during their lives. There's a very, there's a very good chance that you, you know, whoever is listening will have cancer at some point in your life. And I know that Corona has been, you know, in the spotlight, but we got to bring, bring the attention back to cancer because that's a far greater Existential threat to all of our existences, um, and it's something that a lot of people aren't very educated on. I mean, Stevenos, did you know a lot about cancer um, before you started taking these medical classes? Did you like, did, or, or do you think it's something that people don't really have access to unless you're in the profession?
1: Um, I mean, so we we really haven't um, looked at cancer just yet. You know, I mean, I, I'll tell you in preparing for this this episode. Uh, I learned quite a lot. I mean, this, I really only knew cancer in a very uh, general sense. Um, so, there, I think the average person is just as, uh, just as, I guess, uh, in the dark about what cancer is and uh, what causes it and how common it is.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a great place to start. I know that there was um, some interesting literature that the Mayo Clinic put out on kind of dispelling some common myths about cancer. Uh, what, you know, what did you find out from that?
1: Okay. So, yeah. So I was just, I was on the Mayo Clinic website just looking at some, uh, popular myths about the causes of cancer. A lot of misconceptions out there, um, claims circulating the internet. Uh, myth number one, antiperspirants or deodorants can cause, uh, breast cancer. Uh, so fact, there is no conclusive evidence linking the use of underarm antiperspirants or deodorants with breast cancer according to the National Cancer Institute and other research. Um, so that's some, that's, I have heard that myth before I it, you know, had prior to this episode, I wouldn't have been able to tell you whether it was true or not. So I think that's, that's a good myth to be dispelled. Number two, um, microwaving plastic containers and wraps releases harmful cancer causing substance substances into food. Uh, fact microwave safe plastic containers and wraps are safe to use in the microwave. There's a caveat to this though. Plastic containers not intended for use in the microwave could melt and potentially leak chemicals to your food. So avoid containers that not intended for microwaves, such as margarine tubes, takeout containers, and whipped topping bowls. Uh, so I, I was pretty – I probably before this episode would have told you, yeah, it's uh, microwave safe. Plastic containers are are, are safe. It's
0: in the name and if i can if I can just inject with microwaves real quick because that was something that I wanted to uh i wanted to to dive into at some point you you stole my thunder now I'm just kidding, but uh yeah, I mean if you don't understand the function of a microwave if you're listening to this, microwave ovens don't actually make foods radioactive they essentially cre- they heat food. By moving around the the water molecules in the food, um, maybe you've heard about that. But it makes the, yeah. the the process of microwaving makes the water molecules vibrate and produce heat. So microwaves heat the food. They don't actually make any changes to the food that are unlike you know any other cooking method, like heating in the oven. Um, so they don't actually make food more likely to cause cancer.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's like the electromagnetic radiation of the microwave exciting those. Uh, what are they called? try uh, triplanar uh, uh, water molecules and the, the vibration of those molecules like you said is producing heat it's, and, it's interesting
0: yeah and I do want I want want to take a step back or, or did, did you have do you, you have any more myths
1: uh, this there's, um, there's two more I think that are interesting one is um, is cancer contagious uh, fact there's no need to avoid somebody who has cancer you can't catch it it's okay to touch and spend time with somebody that has it. Uh, in fact, sport may never be more valuable. Um, although the uh, caveat to this, although it's not contagious, some viruses are contagious, which can lead to the development of cancer. And those <laughs> viruses include HPV and hepatitis B or C.
0: Do people really think cancer is contagious? That seems like a Yahoo Answers question.
1: <laughs> You'd think so. Well, yeah, that's why I'm on Mayo Clinic.
0: Um, no, no. Yeah, no. I mean, it just seems like like common knowledge. And then what was the last one?
1: Oh, well, this one also sounds like a, a Yahoo uh, uh, myth. Uh, good people don't get cancer. Uh, what the hell? In ancient times, illness was often viewed as punishment for bad actions or thoughts. In <sighs> Some cultures that view is still held. Uh, if this were true, though, how would you explain the six-month-old and newborn gets cancer? Those little ones haven't been bad. Uh, <laughs> so, as, as expected, there's absolutely, absolutely no evidence that you can get cancer because you deserve it.
0: When you were a kid, did you, you went on Yahoo Answers, right?
1: Oh, like, yeah, but it was, like, never intentional, like, I never wanted to. No, but
0: it was always very funny. People would ask, people would ask these questions, like, um, just the dumbest thing. I'm trying to think if I could... Are
1: you Yahoo Answers or Ask Jeeves?
0: Yahoo Answers. <laughs> Who's, you know, I, I don't, I don't ask Jeeves anything. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: But essentially, people would go on Yahoo Answers, <laughs> and they would ask questions like, is an egg a fruit or vegetable? Can, can you, can your baby, <laughs> can your baby get pregnant if you have sex while pregnant? Um... <laughs> If Batman's Batman's parents are died, then how was he born? That was the way the question was written. Um, Was Abraham Lincoln really a vampire slayer? Do you think NASA invented thunderstorms to cover up the sound of space battles? (laughs) Will my laptop get heavier if I put more files on it? Is cocaine considered vegan? Someone asked, what are the flaps inside my nose? (laughs) I have a cold, and I was picking my nose, and then I felt these flaps at the top of my nostrils. I felt them ages ago i 'm wondering what they were some and then someone said, "My boyfriend looks like a ferret. Can someone help me so it 's just like it's it 's interesting because um <laughs> i can 't tell if you're you 're laughing or if you 're like shaking your head
1: no, I'm, I'm laughing. I'm actually l- looking up some myself. Some are kind of disturbing. Um, the routine of milking cows for milk discovered, it's not really disturbing.
0: No, yeah, no, we can, I mean, we can go on like a, a rabbit hole. But uh, the other reason why I bring it up is because some of those like myoclinic myth dis- dispensers, uh, dispellers were, were were like quite good, but some of them were like people really think that you can catch cancer from someone. Like, like what is that?
1: So I,
0: I want to take a step back. Um, when you you know when people talk about cancer because obviously cancer isn't just one disease what exactly does the term cancer encompass
1: definition i'd read earlier seemed to define cancer as referring to a large number of diseases characterized by a growth of abnormal cells which results in the displacement and damage of existing ones Um, and those abnormal cells are we'll call them mutated cells, uh, just another, another term for it.
0: And, you know, I've always kind of wondered this, and obviously I'm not an, an oncologist um, or an expert in this, but, you know, how does cancer actually happen? Like, do you just go to bed one day and you wake up and then you have a tumor, or does it happen over time? Like, like, like what? how does a healthy cell turn cancerous?
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely happens over time, and I think that's why most um, cancer diagnoses are found in people uh, 65 or older, um, but, I mean, your cells are proceeding through normal cell division uh, every, every, every second, and during each cell division, there is some probability that division uh, goes RE. and those divisions can go RE and result in some mutation of the, of the cell. So, I mean, it's, it defi- it's not instantaneous, but it's, uh, it, it's something that happens over a long period of time.
0: And when you say that this, you know, cell cell division happens all the time, and it can become ari. Obviously, cancer is the uncontrolled st- uh, spreading of these these um, mutated, cells. mutated cells. So, I, I I guess I'm trying to understand. You know, on Reddit they have that thing like explain like I'm five. I'm listening yeah. to this podcast right now, and I'm trying to understand why that happens. Why Why do your cells why do your mutated cells spread like like what's the mechanism behind that
1: well I think the mutated cells so mutated cancer cells have some some characteristics uh, that that cause a rapid growth and uh, also uh, prevent your immune system from uh, destroying them so your your body has a normal reaction mechanism against these mutated mutated cells but sometimes uh, those those mutated cells can be missed by your by your immune system, and in that case, these mutated cells are able to grow unabated, um, and that a lot of that comes goes down to the, the what what is the DNA of this mutated cell, and, and a lot of these mutated cells have the ability to to grow rapidly to prevent detection to be pre, to prevent detection by the immune system.
0: If, if I can just add to that, I know I'm kind of like answering my own question, but when I was researching yeah. cancer here, something else that, that kind of factors into the spread and the extension is metastasis. And metastasis is the process where cancer continues to grow and spread by direct extension because these malignant cells, these mutated cells, will travel through the lymphatic system or through the blood vessels, the circulatory system, and they'll form tumors in other parts of the, bo- in the body. So if you have... You know prostate cancer that affects the prostate gland, it could metastasize and affect you know your 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 lungs or, or your heart
1: your blood huh?
0: your blood so so I mean that's my, my impression is that's what is meant when you know people will say that their cancer has metastasized, that it's spread to other parts of the body did you Did, did you find that as well?
1: Yeah, that is the same exact thing. Metastasis being yeah, the spread of a cancer from its origin point. Uh, to some other part of the body, whether it be from blood to bone, uh, bone, uh, lung to bone, or vice versa. So yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned earlier you said that you know that's why cancer usually shows because it t- you know takes a long time to develop. You said it shows in people over the age of sixty-five. So eighty percent of all cancers in the United States are diagnosed in people fifty-five years or older. So even a little bit younger than that, Stephanos. I mentioned an estimated 40 out of 100 men and 39 out of 100 women will develop cancer in their lifetimes and certain behaviors will increase risk such as, you know, things that we all know about common sense, smoking, excess body weight, and drinking alcohol. So with that in mind, you know, did you find or or, or are you aware is is cancer preventable or is it, you know, inevitable for for this 40% of society?
1: Well, so the 40% of society that is uh, at risk for cancer, it, it, it's, uh, I guess, a new, it's nuanced. So some of some cancer is inherited. I think it's a small percentage of those that develop cancer, uh, develop some form of cancer that was inherited. Most cancer is actually developed after birth and as a result of some mutation that occurs uh, over their lifespan. So is it preventable? I think uh, we talked about a few factors that can exacerbate or increase your risk of cancer, those being age and uh, in addition to age, uh, lifestyle habits, smoking, drinking, sun exposure, um, and the third being uh, existing health conditions. So of those three, which ones can you control out of age, lifestyle, and existing health conditions? You can most control your lifestyle uh, your lifestyle habits. Uh, so we're talking about increased smoking and drinking, for example, definitely lead to increased risk of developing cancer. So certainly, there are some things you can do uh, to improve your lifestyle that reduce your risk of cancer. And uh, one more thing regarding that, of that 40% of the population that does contract cancer, 40% of those cases, according to the Mayo Clinic, are linked to those modifiable risk factors that we just talked about. Twenty uh, percent are linked to existing health conditions and the others are linked to the other factors, age, family history, etc.
0: That's really interesting because particularly with, with alcohol being a risk factor, I think that our generation, you know, people in their in their twenties and twenty twenty, our generation drinks a lot. And I don't think people realize, you know, the degree to which This puts them at risk. This makes them more susceptible to developing cancer later on in life because if I'm understanding you correctly, if you are a binge drinker when you're 25 and you drink regularly for a couple of years, you're significantly increasing your risk of developing some form of cancer when you're 55 or 65. Is is that right?
1: Well, it sounds like if you're in your early 20s and you develop a habit of drinking more than two, three, four drinks a day... And you continue that habit for 10, 15, 20 years, you will be at a far greater uh, risk of developing cancer than somebody who was either not drinking at all or limiting their alcohol intake to one or two drinks a day. Hmm. So yeah, sure. It definitely seems like that. that's the case.
0: And then, you know, you run into the problem of nearsightedness. I don't know about you, but when I'm, you know, I'm 27 and I'm thinking about grabbing a couple drinks with my friends, I'm not... I'm not thinking about the long-term implications this is going to have on my health half a century down the line. And I think that, that you're, you're right. Um, it's It all comes down to moderation. I think if you drink alcohol occasionally, as opposed to making it a part of your daily routine, it's probably not as much of a risk factor. Uh, I do want to switch to you know staying on the on the topic of causation and risk factors, one of the myths that people propagate all the time about something that can cause cancer is cell phones um, when we were younger when when the cell phone first started becoming a quotidian part of our lives, everyone would say like oh don't don't put the cell phone up to your ear because that'll give you cancer i don't know I don't know if you ever heard that
1: oh yeah I've heard that sure
0: and is that is that true i mean we don't know definitively but does the research, does, does the scientific literature show that cell phones can cause cancer?
1: I think it's pretty conflicting. I mean, there have been so many studies. Some studies have been done, performed on rice and uh, mice. Right, studies rats. on rice. <laughs> on rice. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on mice and rats, whereby those rats and mice were exposed to high levels of RF, rate, RF energy um, from uh, pre-birth to death. Uh, and those studies... Um, we pretty much in, were inconclusive. Some, there was some evidence that those rats that experienced continuous exposure throughout their entire lives did have a greater, uh, likelihood of developing some cancerous, uh, tissue around the heart. But then there was also some evidence that those rats that were exposed to the radiation, in fact, lived longer than those rats that did not. Um, so that's one amongst many studies, but I, I think really there's a problem with a lot of these studies in that, uh, for one, we have only had the cell phone around uh, for around 20 years. Mm-hmm. So if we really want to assess the impact to humans, I think we're going to have to wait another 15, 20, 30, 40 years to really assess the impact. So at this at this point, it seems like the research is is uh inconclusive
0: you know and that's that's the problem is for a lot of this technology we won't know until it's too late you know you remember with with the with the uh uh earbuds for remember when the ipod came out everyone was like oh earbuds are terrible for your hearing uh, yada yada and now 15 20 years later i uh, maybe not that long maybe like 10 years later people are starting to experience dramatic decline in their hearing at a young age um and i think it's it's, you know, going to continue to get worse. I have friends whose parents are audiologists and they've, they've told me about that, that sort of expectation. So I agree with you that we are limited because we don't, we, you know, the next generation is better positioned to see the impact of this. Um, And I'll also say, I know you mentioned that the the research is inconclusive, but I did read uh, the National Cancer Institute had some interesting information on this. And they essentially said that for people who sleep with with their cell phones on their nightstands, which I do, I, I think you do as well, who set their alarms on their cell phones and you know wake up and check their phones first thing in the morning, cell phones do emit radio frequency energy, which is a form of non-ionizing radiation, and so the body tissue that's closest to the antenna can absorb this energy. It can absorb. It's it's not you know conclusively true, but that's part of the reason why studies have been conducted to find out whether or not cell phones increase someone's risk of malignant or benign brain tumors because there is that that possibility but as Stefano said you know the epidemiological studies that have been investigated are inconclusive some have shown there is statistical association some have shown they're not so should you know should listeners be careful with with cell? I mean we can't we can't not use our cell phones I mean is there w- what would you do in this kind of situation
1: a lot of people I think are not putting the the phone directly next to the rear anymore. I see a lot of people with AirPods, for example. So, I I mean, I I would say, you know, if there is a risk, I I don't think people are using their cell phones like they may have been using them a decade ago. So if there was some risk, I think it's far lower as uh, the technology is changing, as people's habits around the phone have changed. So I, I, me personally, I'm I'm not, not too worried about the implications. I mean,
0: and and this is kind of an aside, but I really also don't like the idea of having your cell phone in your bed um, or next to your bed. And it goes along with with some of the books that I've read about um, technology addiction that I've mentioned quite a bit on this pod. I'm sure you're sick of hearing about it, but essentially they, they all say that the first key to weaning off of the cell phone addiction is not sleeping with it in your room because if you sleep with it next to your nightstand then the first thing you do when you wake up is you check your phone and the last thing that you do before you go to bed is you check your phone so rather than using your phone as an alarm clock if you can, if you're concerned about either technological addiction or concerned about you know causation with cancer you can just use a straightforward alarm clock i have a, an i-home but i mean it's hard because a lot of these apps now They have some really good apps out there to wake you up. I have one where it makes you... I I don't know if you saw it, but it makes you like complete a puzzle and and solve math problems before your alarm can go off. So it's hard. They make it tough to keep the phone away from you.
1: Yeah, it's true. I I think I'm more worried, and you touched upon this in another episode about the cell phone addiction. I'm shocked every week at the end of the week getting my Apple report telling me how many hours I spent on the phone, Um, but... Yeah, regarding the ca- the cancer risk, uh, I think yeah, keeping it out of your room at night is is, is a good idea. And if you're really that worried about uh, long exposure to the uh, RF energy from the phone, you know, keep using your your AirPods or whatever else, what whatever, whatever other uh, earpiece you might have to communicate
0: and it actually ties back nicely to the corona discussion because we talked about how people were being reckless and they were you know going out to bars on St. Patrick's Day weekends um, and they weren't thinking about the impact on their health or on others health it's kind of the same thing with cell phones because i think people are so caught up in using the phone maybe they know maybe they've heard about the risk of cancer but they don't re- you know they don't really internalize it and i'm telling you the first time a study comes out uh, you know serious conclusive report that cell phones cause cancer a lot of people are going to change their behavior but at that point it's probably going to be too late i mean it might be too late now like we you and i both have been using phones every day for the last um 20 like the last 10 15 years like it's it's unfortunate to think about but if there is some sort of of causative link with cancer i would think too late yeah (laughs) which is kind of kind of a dire takeaway um I don't know.
1: Well, there is. Uh, yeah, well, we'll get into cancer treatment later.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I, the, you know, I do want to... Things we can do. Absolutely. And I do want to mention a couple other potential causes or alleged causes of cancer. So some people think, again, this might be the, the depths of Yahoo Answers, but some people think that having sex can give you cancer. Is, is that true? Is that something you found?
1: So we talked about it earlier as uh, so we uh, dispelled that myth uh, that sex can cause cancer. Um, but what can cause cancer is the viruses that might be transmitted uh during uh during sex. Uh those viruses being HPV and hepatitis B and C. Uh so those viruses can be the impetus for cancer, cervical cancer or prostate uh prostate cancer. So it's it's something to think about, but uh it doesn't mess it's not you can't uh transmit cancer during sex directly. Okay, well... It's more of an indirect...
0: I, you know, I also want to mention, people say, in, in the medical field and the psychological field, people say that stress can cause heart disease. That's something that you hear a lot, like high blood pressure is correlated with stress and, and eventually leads to heart disease. Is it true that stress also makes you more likely to develop cancer, or is that really just linked to heart problems?
1: Um, it seems like although stress can cause a number of uh, problems... The, the evidence would have you believe that the cause that it, its ability to cause cancer is very weak. Um, some studies though have indicated a link between various uh, psychological factors and an increased risk of developing cancer, but others have not. Uh, so again, kind of like the, it sounds like the, the cell phone argument, uh, the cell phone study. It's really at this point uh, inconclusive. There's really no no evidence pointing no conclusive evidence pointing towards it definitely causing cancer or not.
0: And that's really the problem when we talk about causation in general is you don't know. It's not like when you develop cancer your doctor is going to print out the report and tell you, "Oh, it was that uh it was that stressful weekend you had back in 2012 or um oh it was, you know, all the time you spent on that on that one app on your phone." It's it's tough to trace a causation, and this is something you see in all science. I mean, I have a background obviously in psychology and neuroscience. Um, the difficulty in, in these fields is correlation versus causation. Is If people, you know, if someone gets sick and this person happens to not wash their hands after they go to the bathroom, did they get sick from not washing their hands because they go to the bathroom, or is it a third party variable? You know, if someone gets coronavirus, it could have been a host of things that actually caused it. So you really do have this problem in general with with causation, but specifically with something like cancer.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you could say, I mean, we know based on the cancer.gov stress, it's inconclusive whether stress causes cancer, but we do know the risk factors that do cause cancer, those being those lifestyle habits and existing health conditions. So... Indirectly, stress maybe exacerbates uh, obesity or drinking or smoking or exacerbates existing health conditions like heart disease uh, or kidney disease. So, it itself maybe doesn't cause cancer, but it certainly can increase the risk, your other risk factors uh, that might lead to a greater probability of developing cancer.
0: So, one more I want to hit you with one more um, potential cause of cancer. So, a lot of people say that there are specific foods that might make you more likely to get cancer. Specifically, I think it's called aspartame or some of the the Splenda, the sweetener. And people have said, "Oh, don't put that in your coffee," you know, because it'll it'll give you cancer. That that was a myth that I I've heard even you know growing up in like middle school, high school. Is there any scientific basis to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, so you said you were talking about artificial sweeteners, uh, aspartame, saccharin, and Uh, cyclamate. Um, I guess so. There have been some studies that show laboratory rats can develop bladder cancer if fed huge amounts of saccharin or uh cyclamate, although this is at levels uh, thousands of times greater than a normal diet. And international studies have really shown that humans are not affected in the same way. Uh, that said, it's artificial sweeteners appears safe to eat given that the quantities we're consuming are far, far lower than the quantities consumed by lab rats uh, that uh, produced, that resulted in cancer.
0: You know, but it, it's interesting. I, ju- I just remember specifically with you, because y- you and I are both like very obsessive about looking at the back of nutrition labels. With you, you were obsessed with Coke Zero for a while. And I remember asking you, you know, what's in Coke Zero? And you said it has zero sugar and it has zero calories. And that yeah, just, right. that was Great. baffling to me because Coke Zero tasted exactly like regular Coca-Cola but it didn't have anything. So then it just got me thinking, how is it possible to have these artificial sweeteners that make things taste exactly the same with no calories and no sugar and it doesn't cause cancer? It just doesn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are some concerns about, I've read some concerns about sucralose, which is the uh, artificial sweetener in Coke, uh, Diet Coke and Coke Zero. It, it, it seems like uh, at one point we thought that uh, sucralose, uh, was water soluble and just would exit the body naturally. Um, but more recent studies have shown that that sucralose in, in those, in these diet, uh, sodas does indeed stay with the body, uh, sometime after consuming the drink. But I haven't seen any studies that have linked the existence of this sucralose, at least in the quantities found in Diet Coke, to any cancers. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's, could be another, uh, I mean, it might just take more time to see what the effects are. What about uh, how, old is, how old is Diet Coke? How old is it? Yeah, how long has Diet Coke been around? Is it another instance where we just don't have uh, a population that's been drinking Diet Coke long enough to see the long-term implications? Or?
0: Yeah, so it looks like Diet. <laughs> it looks like Diet Coke has been around since 1982. Um, just just okay. pulled that out of my you know I, I. That's a pretty good amount of time. So no, I don't think it's like. Phones where they haven't had an awareness. I think that, you know, there's a lot of information out there. But I don't know. It's just sugar free, no calories, artificial sweeteners. There needs to be something here. And, and maybe, I, I don't know if we can have someone else in the pod that might be, might have, uh, you know, a, a background in, I don't know if it would be like nutrition and epidemiology, but there has to be something.
1: Or something like that or
0: Denweber. oh Den Weber Den Weber the hammer yeah yeah for sure maybe maybe Den can or, or our friend Brian Varnson can chime in there so yeah, you mentioned Varnson. you mentioned artificial sweeteners there's no conclusive facts that that causes cancer so a myth that I've also heard regarding foods is when I was younger I used to eat a lot of well done meats I used to get my burgers like burnt to a crisp um, and now actually I've, I've gotten into the habit of ordering medium well um, but I kind of heard when, whenever I would eat something well done, people would kind of say to me either, oh, you're like burning all the, the flavor out of it or whatever, or they would say you can't eat food that burnt because it has carcinogens. So is that true that eating burnt foods will give you cancer?
1: So in burnt foods, it, what you have in burnt foods is a group of carcinogenic substances called uh, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. and These are produced if foods are overheated or burnt. So, at least when it came to looking at uh, the typical Australian diet, although that charred or smoked food contained traces of these PAHs, experts agreed that the amount in the average diet is too low to be considered a significant cancer risk. Despite that, uh, it seems like the recommendation is when in, when cooking, uh, limit your intake of the char grilled meats and foods. So it's preferable to uh, cook your food in a low temperature environment methods include steaming boiling poaching stewing casserole and braising and and so on and microwaving actually um so i mean it, it seems like it, there's definitely evidence pointing towards uh, uh, burnt food causing uh increasing your risk for cancer um but i think again it comes down to moderation if you're eating these burnt uh these burnt burgers in moderation i think you should be fine ricky
0: what about I'm, I'm about to I'm about to grab a banana? Is does that does that have any links to cancer?
1: No idea. That,
0: that's I'm gonna I'm gonna take my chances. Hold, hold, hold that thought. You still here? Yeah.
1: How's that banana?
0: Um, I got my banana right here. Pretty. <laughs> pretty. Pretty, pretty good. As you can tell, we're both fans of carbs. So, artificial sweeteners, um, burnt and barbecued foods. Both of them. It sounds like the burnt or barbecued f- foods are a little bit more precarious than artificial sweeteners. But in
1: both cases, more conclusive. What'd you say? It sounds more conclusive. Uh, it just seems like a, a you know a moderation is uh, really the solution to preventing can- increasing your cancer risk.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like also uh, you know, as we said with causation it's difficult, you know, we talked about it's difficult to pinpoint when it happened. It's also difficult to pinpoint how long after exposure, you know, you might develop cancer because you mentioned earlier with something like drinking or cell phone exposure, it might happen years later. I mean, I would imagine that maybe after, after developing a lifestyle habit, you know, a year or two, you might, you might develop a a cancer as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably not going to be immediate. It could, it's a, result of a long life of eating the the burnt burgers uh, that you're consuming that might result in uh, cancer.
0: So I'm wondering if, if I should be worried cuz I I had, I had most of my childhood was well-done meats and then um um I recently came I to
1: know, What do you, what do you see in well-done meats?
0: Oh well, not anymore but the thing is is that mm, all right, that's a good banana. That's quality. That was a re- I was wish you guys could have tasted that with me. So the thing with well-done meats is that I, as much as I love meat, a lot of times I don't like to know that I'm eating an animal. If that makes sense, and when when beef, for example, is rare, when it's still wet and gooey and bloody, to me that that's that's very gross because you know that you're eating a living thing, and then you start thinking about. The repercussions of that and and then, you know, you might want to become a vegetarian, um, which I covered in, in an episode. But when when you're eating something well done, first of all, it's completely disparate from a living thing because it doesn't look or, or smell like an animal. And it also has a great, like, crunchy texture. It's like – you know what I mean? I, it, for a long time, that was all I went to. Does that does – how,
1: how would you order a uh, Beyond Meat burger? Well done? Out of habit? Or would you go for the – you know, rare, extra rare, beyond burger.
0: Well, I actually, so I wouldn't go extra. I've never had
1: one, so I don't even know if that's an option. I wouldn't go extra rare go in a store.
0: I wouldn't go extra rare. I also wouldn't go well done. I've I've been doing medium well because medium well tells the chef that you know is it, going to cook it well done, but there's you know there's this it's, it's there's still going to be a little bit of color. Whereas well done is just like burnt. And actually, one of my friends got me off of well done because there was a book by Anthony. Bourdain, I think it's called No Reservations, or it might have been Chef Confidential. I, no, Whatever it was, he talked about in the book how he loves when customers order well-done meat because they essentially take the scraps that they were going to throw out or feed to the dogs and just give them to the customer. So for whatever that's worth. So, oh, by the way, uh, I did have a Beyond Burger, an Impossible Burger with my friend uh, in New York a couple months ago. I don't know if I told you. Um, it was very bad. Uh, it was, Wait, uh. I know, I, know I've, I plugged vegetarian, vegan living, but... It tasted like so it tasted like a regular burger for seventy percent of the eating experience, and then you know when you swallow food and you have that aftertaste and, and you can kind of smell what you just ate, yeah it smelled it smelled like a plant, it like looked like a burger, it tasted like a burger, and then when I swallowed it and and I had that like like that post swallow euphoria that um <laughs> uh what's it called it it smelled like I had just eaten a plant. It was weird, it was not, not great.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: And it was at like an upscale restaurant that my friend's mom uh, t- took us to and it was like I was like, ugh. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, I don't I don't know much about it. I mean, I know I've read some conflicting reports as to actually how healthy uh nutritious these Beyond Burgers are. Uh, I'll try one though.
0: That's a int- conflicting report. I thought the, the literature is like all for Beyond Burgers.
1: I think the literature is all for a vegan uh, or a vegetarian lifestyle, but I don't think uh, I can't point to any research that I've looked at recently, but what I recall is that the Beyond Meat and the Impossible Meat uh, mock meat it doesn't really qualify. It's really not so nutritious. The way they're making it, uh, I guess, doesn't live up to uh, what might be considered a really nutritious vegetarian or vegan meal. So I think I don't think it has anything to do with the uh, the philosophy of that of that diet, but it more comes down to the The product that's being sold. I, I don't think I, I I really don't know how high quality the beyond meat and impossible burger are.
0: Do you know what's interesting? um th- there's there's one more thing I want to mention uh, th- th- then we're gonna then we're gonna get back to our discussion of of cancer. but with regards to coronavirus, we didn't really talk about this, but the sort of impact that this might have on food production, like the distribution chain because if people like if you think about where meat comes from, you have these farms that, um, these small farms or these these uh, these commercial farms that sell um, to Cargill and those food manufacturers, if these if people are too afraid to go on these farms and, and breed their animals um, and butcher, you know slaughter the animals and, and uh, play their role in the f- food supply, are we going to run out of meat? I don't know if 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 you've heard anything about that or if that's not a legitimate concern. Or not even meat, just pr- produce in general. I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm, you know, all I eat is meat.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I know that um, a couple months ago, when the coronavirus was at its peak, I guess severity in Wuhan in China, and I think there was a huge demand for uh, American uh, pork and, and beef uh, exports. So I mean, I can I can speak to it. It's, it sounds like the supply chain for uh, meat and produce definitely has been disrupted by coronavirus. I don't know if there's actually any that there might be some uh,
0: shortage though. It's actually funny. I feel like the New York Times and I are just like on the same wavelength because all day I've been asking questions to my friends and then I just look it up and the New York Times like has it. So New York Times literally just released an article a couple hours ago. This is March 15th. And it says, it's titled, there's plenty of food in the country. And they they interview the National, uh, the North American Meat Institute and the National Chicken Council. And they essentially say that even though uh, grocery stores, the shelves are empty right now. This woman, the chief executive of the North America Institute for meat says there is food being produced. There's food in warehouses. There's plenty of food in the country. The chief operating officer of Costco said our stores are getting stocked every day. Transportation is functioning. Our suppliers are working around the clock and the flow of goods, uh, excuse me, the flow of uh, goods is strong. And then, um, if you look at Nielsen, they did a, a uh, Um, It's an interesting graph where they they document the sale of pantry items, rice, dried beans, water, oat milk, peanut butter, pasta, and pretzels, and about how it surged up up to 50% increase in sales for all of those items. Um, But it does look like retail stores, Cook's Venture, looks like these representatives from distribution companies, um, A2 Milk companies, Walmart, Stop and Shop, looks like they're going to continue this. And to your point earlier... It says Stop and Shop and Walmart are reducing their hours to give employees more time to restock the shelves mm. and to allow workers to get time to get more health and stay healthy. So essentially yeah. they are um they are making sure that there is food in the stores.
1: Yeah, I mean I was under the impression that the American agricultural industry farmers are overproducing. Um anyway, so I I think we I think in this in this period of maybe some shortage or increased demand I think there's already naturally some excess supply that really isn't consumed every, every year. So, yeah, I guess it's not too much of a surprise to me that uh, we have the supply to, to meet this higher demand.
0: The only downside is, you know, it's great that the stores are closing early and reducing hours to make sure they're stocked. But then you're going to have a bottleneck problem. Then you're going to have, you know, a million people going to Trader Joe's or uh, Whole Foods or whatever within a four or five hour period or whatever eight hours um all of
1: a sudden, everyone wants fresh vegetables it's crazy It's <laughs> really are, funny like uh stocking for two, you know, two three weeks in their house and they're buying all these fresh vegetables I, I just I don't I don't know I see it's uh we'll see how how long that stuff lasts I feel like a lot of it's gonna get thrown out and it's uh it's not, not I'm not over I'm not reacting quite so uh strongly to coronavirus so i can't i can't make my salads anymore
0: <laughs> the stefano salad i don't know if we've spoken about that on the uh on the pod the yeah. the super salad that you and i invented featuring
1: maybe it's ha- it, i've had to modify it ricky the supply shortage of... how have you
0: how have you modified it
1: how have i modified it uh there's no more um There's no more baby kale or spinach. I have to use uh, romaine. It's like nobody wants romaine at a stub shop.
0: (laughs) Well, romaine romaine and uh, iceberg lettuce are like 90% water. If you don't believe me, just like put it in the sink and put on the hot water. It'll totally dissolve. Whereas, I think
1: romaine is better than iceberg. Romaine is at least a green, leafy vegetable. True.
0: Iceberg like is water. Ice water. My dad always gets iceberg on his, uh, on his sandwiches and on his salads. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awful. We'll go to the restaurant and he'll order a salad. He'll be like, can, I, can you ask the chef to put iceberg lettuce? I'm like, dad, that's literally water. There's like no nutritional value to that. Um, what the hell was I going to say? I was going to say one more thing about the grocery stores being closed. Bottleneck. Oh yeah, yeah. One more thing on that is, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned all of a sudden people want fried festivals. I understand if people are gathering non uh, perishables like cans of beans and bags of rice, but what's with the toilet paper? People are like literally stocking up toilet paper like they're never gonna leave their house again. That's crazy to me.
1: Oh yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't really get that either.
0: And the um, uh, the paper towels, just like weird stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean we're. We're doing fine in my apartment. We I think we have enough. A friend of mine generally overstocked, so we'll be we'll be okay. Oh, well. I,
0: I know our listeners were concerned about your your bowel movements, so thanks for thanks for putting that at ease. And uh, I mean, <laughs> and um yeah no I sorry to get sidetracked. I mean I hope hope you guys understand that uh, listening that we're we're in the midst of a crisis so far, attention gets diverted away from um, the big issues. And that's exactly why. But I want to I wanna go back to cancer, because we've talked a lot about what causes cancer and what we can do to prevent it. But let's say you do you know, find yourself diagnosed with, with cancer. What sort of options do you have? What, what treatments, what therapies are available?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it seems like it depends on the... Uh the manifestation of that cancer. There's all different types of cancer, many different manifestations of cancer, lung cancer, um, prostate cancer, bone cancer, uh, leukemia, so blood cancer. So it really depends on how that cancer manifests itself. Um, So there are a few different types of treatment. There's uh, uh, radiative treatment, Uh, there's chemotherapy, which is uh, uh, treatment via some sort of drug or or an IV. Um, And then there's uh, surgery, which is the removal of the cancerous tissue. Um, sometimes one of those treatments in and of itself is enough. Other times you'll need a combined uh, combined treatment plan that that uses all three. So yeah, it really it depends on the the nature of the cancer.
0: And you mentioned you mentioned um, surgery as as one option. So surgery, my understanding is they can either remove the tumor if it's contained in one area, debulk a tumor which is where removing a tumor might damage an organ or the body. So they remove part of a tumor to help other treatments that Stefano's mentioned work better. Or uh, they can remove tumors that are causing pain or pressure and ease the other symptoms of cancer. And you also mentioned, so you mentioned radiation chemotherapy and immunotherapy. So chemotherapy is the one that I think is most mainstream. People are the most familiar with it. So how does that work? And and why do people in chemotherapy smoke so much weed?
1: (laughs) Um, so uh, chemotherapy is a drug-based uh, cancer treatment. So those drugs will be will be distributed either via an IV or a pill, uh, and it's really useful uh, for cancer that's uh, spread. I think, uh, and especially useful for some cancers that can't be operated on. For example, leukemia, cancer uh, that exists in within your uh, blood cells, uh, so that you you really can't target that cancer and remove via surgery so you'll need something that's more uh far-reaching uh, and enveloping like chemotherapy and you asked um why does why do people that go through chemotherapy smoke so much weed um so chemotherapy being that it's uh something it's, it's pretty enveloping it's, it's distributed via pill or, or iv uh it does have quite a few side effects uh, including pain uh, nausea inflammation um and a lot of hospitals to combat those symptoms they'll use as as you mentioned cannabis as kind of a palliative uh treatment to reduce relieve that pain, those those symptoms of pain, nausea, inflammation. It can also be used to reduce anxiety, paranoia, and things like that. But it, it's it's uh it's not combating the cancer itself. It is very much a, a palliative treatment to uh allay the effects of those uh Symptoms of the chemotherapy treatment.
0: It's interesting to me because there are a lot of illnesses, chronic illnesses, or severe, debilitating conditions that I think cause a lot of pain for people and cause people to suffer significantly. Yet, cancer is the is maybe the only one, the only one that's it's commonly associated with medicinal marijuana for chemotherapy. So, I just I wonder, you know, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but I just wonder why that is, why. You know, it's generally accepted that people in chemotherapy will, you know, smoke weed as as you said to relieve anxiety and and muscle tension. But people who have other intense pain associated with with chronic illness, they don't resort to weed as as frequently, or, or maybe they do, and people just don't talk about it. I really don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's I mean, it's possible that you know, cancer is just it, it's so present, right? You, you mentioned it being the second greatest cause of death, uh, amongst your know, people. Uh, so maybe it's just more omnipresent, uh, omnipression, uh, yeah. just more visible. Uh, so, I mean, I know people with chronic, um, chronic pain, like chronic back pain or, uh, other chronic, chronic muscular, uh, musculoskeletal pain will oftentimes, uh, take, uh, cannabis, but that's really usually done in the in their own home, you don't need a doctor
0: for that. <laughs> it's funny um, the way the way that you frame it. They take cannabis, yeah, they're smoking a joint, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, and it's interesting because you know all this all this talk about about cannabis has just made me think about CBD and the extent to which that's kind of um, become pervasive in society. And CBD, my understanding is it's um, it is a component of medicinal marijuana, but it's derived from the the hemp plant, which is slightly different than the marijuana plant and it doesn't cause a high. I mean, people, people take it for health and nutrition reasons. I don't, I don't understand CBD. I've never, I've never used it. I don't know what this means, but it looks like if you apply it, it's not only in foods. If you apply it on the skin, it can lower, lower pain and inflammation due to arthritis. Um, uh, there's an article by, uh, the Harvard, uh, medical school, maybe Stephanos's future, future employer. Um, what we know and what we don't about CBD where they actually talk about how um, the FDA doesn't regulate it, but um, it does have therapeutic, potentially therapeutic qualities. Yeah, I mean, it, it does say that since cannabis is a schedule one controlled substance in the US, other CBD formulations remain illegal to prescribe for medical use or as an ingredients in food or dietary substances by the FDA. So I don't want to be endorsing that on my podcast if it's against the law to use, but at least for medicinal Purposes, it seems like marijuana has an impact, uh, has a a positive impact on cancer treatment. And and one more thing about chemotherapy is obviously for a lot of people leads to hair loss. So so what happens there?
1: Yeah. So uh, why why do cancer patients tend to lose hair? It's really it it isn't a result of the cancer itself. It comes down to chemotherapy, the chemotherapy treatment, uh, which again is some sort of drug that you ingest or uh, take via IV. That drug doesn't necessarily discriminate uh, healthy versus uh, malignant uh, cancer cells. So as a side effect, a lot of uh, cells that are healthy, including those cells that um, are involved in the production of, of hair, uh, do die. Uh, so you, you get it is just one of the side effects of the chemotherapy treatment. A lot of healthy cells do uh, do die, but generally after chemotherapy treatment is concluded, those healthy cells begin to proliferate again and uh, hair cells and hair will uh, resurface.
0: Yeah. So we've talked about causes. We talked about treatment. Now, a cure or, or a lack of a cure. You've probably heard people say, Stevanos, that there is a cure out there and there has been a cure for a long time and it's being suppressed and concealed by Big Pharma and the insurance companies because they make way too much money with these um, treatment procedures that you just mentioned, like chemotherapy, is this, is this true? I mean, is there any uh, credibility to this conspiracy theory or is it just white noise and we're still far away from developing a cure?
1: So, yeah, there is, there are conspiracy theories, Uh, conspiracy theories exist that that posit that big pharma uh, is suppressing uh, the cure for cancer. And the theory is that they're spreading the cure for cancer because current treatments, chemotherapy, radiation, immunotherapy, surgery are so lucrative that a cure for cancer might, uh, I guess, impact them financially uh, negatively in a negative way. Do I think that's the case? No, I, I don't think that's the case it, it, for a few reasons. One, I think we have appropriate oversight in place that if that suppression was going on, uh, we would know about it or it would be... It would have already been addressed, and and two, I think if that if those organization oversight wasn't successful in in outing the suppression of this uh, drug, I think um, current climate in our uh, current political climate, uh, social climate, I think we'd likely have some sort of whistleblower um, pointing towards uh, these companies performing this really unethical um, practice. So while I don't have any evidence proving these theories wrong, I I, I think it's highly improbable that it uh, is going on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I'm of the same mind. I think that if there was some sort of a cure, just the ability to contain it, it would be very difficult. It only takes one person to leak something like that. But, you know, and and I, I also, I see why these these pharmaceutical companies are not incentivized to have a cure. I don't necessarily think that there's a cure in a safe and they're keeping it away from us. I think that they've made hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe billions of dollars, probably billions of dollars um, in the last couple decades alone on chemotherapy and different immunotherapy treatments. And, you know, a lot of those treatments are not covered by insurance. People have to get second mortgages on their home. You see all the time people go bankrupt from cancer treatment. So I don't think there's a fire under you know these these big pharma execs that that they need to start devoting money to to finding a cure. But it is you know Stephanos, it is kind of crazy to think about that all of the advances in technology from. You know the the smallpox uh, vaccine to the splitting of the uh, conjoined twins to cloning Dolly the sheep and genetic engineering. It's amazing that we've cured every disease um, except obviously the common cold, but we haven't found a cure for cancer. Uh, It's really remarkable. And and if you had to like identify just why we haven't found a cure for cancer, what do you think? What's what's the major reason?
1: I think it's in large part because. uh Diseases that have been eradicated smallpox tuberculosis malaria um, those diseases are uh, singular uh, singular diseases where my point is cancer is uh, a broad term for a number of very distinct diseases so you have cancer of the bone cancer of the lung cancer of the blood uh, the, these diseases are 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 not are not the same they, and they can't be treated in the same way they require different treatments so I think that adds an inherent complexity to it uh, there it won't be a single treatment for cancer because it is uh, composed of so many different uh, diseases and I think what makes it also more quite difficult is the I guess the physiology of, of the cancer cell it's very resistant to treatment uh, in fact I was reading about a theory called cancer stem cell theory by Stanford medicine uh, whereby there's, uh, they, they posit that uh, can't can, cancer, cancerous material, is composed of a few cells that they refer to as cancer stem cells, that uh, are extremely difficult uh, and resistant, uh, extremely difficult to eradicate, very resistant to treatment. And in the event that uh, it seems that the cancer has been uh, destroyed, a uh, sensibility is gone. The existence uh of these stem cells will result in the reproduction of that the the cancer so long story short it's the physiology of the cell is far is very difficult to uh destroy and the disease itself is composed of so many different diseases so it makes it more difficult i think
0: yeah and you mentioned um in that in, in that answer you mentioned that the cancer cell was resilient and I you know I kind of found the same thing that more than anything else cancer cells are super good at staying alive. When the body works the way that it's supposed to, any cell that becomes abnormal will just self-destruct. It's a process called apoptosis. Um, or it might be apoptosis. I'm not sure, but this this apoptosis gets turned off in a lot of cancer cells because they're so resilient and they're so good at at staying alive. Almost like uh, almost like the cockroaches. How they say that the cockroach is the only animal that can survive like a, like a nuclear attack.
1: Maybe we need a mugabug to get in. That. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: a, that's funny. That's a reference to my dad's old exterminating company. Um. So yeah, I think that that's that's a, a major reason why. And as you said, you know, cancer cells will change over time. So much like the flu vaccine vaccine. The strain of flu one season is not the same as the strain in another season. I think that's another reason why um, we haven't found a cure as of yet. And I mean, on that note, what if... Let me throw another suggestion to you. This is something... I can't remember if I, if I found it in the research or if it's something I just sort of like thought up. But if cancer cells will, uh, will are resilient and good at stay, uh, staying alive, what if you just give... Cancer to the cancer. It almost reminds me. If you ever saw The Matrix, when Neo goes into the Matrix and goes inside Mr. Smith, and then he like explodes him from the inside out. Like, is that a feasible alternative to just give cancer to the cancer?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. That's uh, so. What is cancer? We, we discussed that earlier. Cancer is the uh, the proliferation of mutated cells. Uh, the rapid proliferation and growth of mutated cells that. that displace and damage normal cells so yeah could you give could you uh, impregnate uh, an area of cancer with some sort of other cell that has uh, an ability to displace and damage those cancer cells maybe but then the, I guess the question is how do you get rid of new cancer that you impregnated um, so I, I'm not sure I, uh, I know uh, looked at uh, one what appears to be a novel treatment but it's actually been there's been research in it for 40, 50 years now, uh, a treatment called virotherapy, uh, where, whereby viruses are reprogrammed to attack, uh, infect, and ultimately kill cancer cells. So those viruses are referred to as oncolytic viruses. In fact, uh, in 2015, there was one virus, uh, oncolytic virus, uh, approved by uh, approved for use in the U.S. and the EU um, to treat inoperable uh, melanoma. Uh, I don't know how uh, what the success rate of the this viral therapy treatment is, but it definitely appears to be an, an interesting and novel avenue that we're we're taking outside of the normal chemotherapy, radiation, immunotherapy, and surgery uh, techniques that have, are being used.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely, like like both what what I asked and what you just answered, it's like thinking outside the box, kind of ways to remediate this and. It's it's I don't know if if we're gonna have a cure for cancer in our lifetimes. D- do you think that by the time you die there will have been a cure for cancer? Because if they do find a cure for cancer, the human life expectancy is gonna skyrocket. Um, because generally, as I said, the second leading cause of death. This is something that that is gonna kill most of us. Do you do you see that happening in your lifetime?
1: Well, let's see how long do we think we're gonna live. <laughs> so I think that we talked about it in another episode. That the uh, aging that uh, our lifespan is approaching some terminal uh some some escape velocity so right now i think the oldest person has lived to 125 me assuming we live to 125 uh, do we think in the next 100 years uh cancer will be cured i i don't i don't think so i think it comes down to what we we're talking about earlier where cancer is is a broad term describing uh, a multitude of different diseases cancer cancerous diseases affecting different types of tissue Um, so there won't be any one treatment you're going to need a a treatment for each of these uh different cancers I, i i don't know that you'll have a treatment for every type of cancer in 100 years maybe but i think it's it's a it's definitely a tall task
0: that's putting it lightly i mean I don't know. I remember when I was in eighth grade, uh, in eighth grade biology, and we learned about uh, an interferon, which is something to stop the spread of of cancer. And I was just sitting on the deck in my backyard one like one afternoon, just thinking. Like, I mean, obviously, I was thirteen, and I'm you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that much, but I was well, like, you got, uh, nervous habits. Back then. Yeah, wouldn't that wouldn't that have been something? But no, I just was trying to think like like what could we use as this interferon? But I think one of the challenges, and this is this is something I found in my research, is a tumor, and and this is kind of what you alluded to, but a tumor is just a dynamic interconnected ecosystem where cancer cells are communicating with each other and they're communicating with healthy cells nearby. And a tumor can induce normal cells to form blood vessels that feed the tumor and remove waste products. The tumor can interact with the immune system to suppress its function, keeping it from recognizing or destroying the cancer. So we need to learn how to shut down these lines of communication in order to have a better shot of van- vanquishing a tumor permanently now mounting evidence does suggest that as you said we need to eradicate uh, cancer stem cells which are which are rare but the issue is that even if even if you have a tumor that shrinks beyond detection one stem cell could seed the growth of a new tumor so it all this is to say i don't i don't think there is any catch-all solution. When people speak of a, a singular cure for cancer, I think that's erroneous. It's really not one cure. You would need hundreds of cures. I mean, you know, this is literally the trillion-dollar question, but do you have any ideas on how to cure cancer? <laughs>
1: uh, I, I really don't. I mean, I think it's um, it's all about, uh, at this point, prevention, I think, is your, your best bet. Um, and we talked about that earlier. Uh, 40% of Cancer is caused by modifiable lifestyle habits, so um, I think it's you know, the the cure for cancer is uh, is something we really can't grasp, but we are able to grasp uh, techniques for preventing cancer, and that's probably what we can focus on in the near term.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that that's I think that that's that's a great way to look at it. And you know, one final question I want to ask you when we talk about curing cancer. What sort of role will machines play into this, and will AI technology? Is it possible that, you know, rather than a person being the first person to cure cancer, can you imagine a machine being the first thing to cure cancer? Is is that a
1: possibility? Um, yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, I mean, maybe with advances in machine learning and, and computing power through simulations, there can be some, uh, I, I guess, some a uh, more rapid uh, solution to these cancers developed. I mean, it's maybe, yeah, maybe I can see it. Machine learning playing, playing a big role, um, supplying some, uh, problem to a machine and that, that, that machine performing infinite, uh, attempts at, at, at trying to, uh, eliminate, you know, that, that, that cancer being the problem. Uh, maybe we're poised now with, uh, machine learning, uh, Capabilities poised now to find a solution better than ever. We have a lot of resources. Yeah, to, try to at, solve
0: it. I feel like this is interesting because we're tying into a lot of our past episodes. The, the last one on aging, and two two episodes ago on aging, and also the last one we did on machine learning. Because if you think about it, a computer model can simulate millions and, and potentially like infinite numbers of trials in the in the span of just moments. You look at that uh, that computer from Jeopardy. What is it called, Watson? About how yeah, when... Yeah, I think I think. Remember, we we, uh, we you and I and Ben we we watched a bunch of those clips. But essentially, yeah. in in a, a Ken, mic, didn't he? what'd you say?
1: He beat Ken in Jeopardy.
0: Yeah, he beat Ken. Um, in the span of like a, a microsecond, it was able to access all the collect collective knowledge of like humanity and answer a question. So if you had that you know capacity at your fingertips, you would think that you know AI is better situated than than humanity to. Explore the knowledge that we do have and test out different hypotheses. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, can you imagine like being the first person to cure cancer? Like, like can you imagine the level of 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 just incredible good fortune and, and fame? And I mean, people, you'd you'd be a hero to the human race.
1: Yeah, I, I really I, I can't imagine that that feeling. I can't.
0: You wouldn't have to pay for your beers or your ciders at any bar in town. People would be you know, Stephanos would walk in and be like, all right, buddy, you get get an applause every time. Um, (laughs) And if Stephanos does go on to cure cancer, you can listen back to this episode of Nervous Um, Habits.
1: If it's anyone, it's probably uh, uh, Brian Varnson. It could be Varnson. We'll have the the pleasure to meet eventually.
0: (laughs) But no, seriously, I mean... You know, it could could be the beginning of, you know, you do Nervous Habits, episode 31. Then you go to you go off, finish your prereqs, go to medical school, become a world-renowned oncologist. You never know, man. This could be you. You you might be sitting in a laboratory with some peers and say, wait a second. Ricky mentioned that on Nervous Habits. What if you try this as an interferon and then you stop the spread of the mutation this way and then boom. And then I get a share of the royalties.
1: Yeah, great. <laughs> Ricky, uh, really? You
0: no know, quite a bit quite a bit for his for his age um, <laughs> so i want I want to do my my summary wrap up here because we've covered a ton of ground on this pod. make sure that nothing was lost, so we opened up by talking about the coronavirus and whether or not the reaction was warranted with social distancing and flattening the curve. We talked about the economic implications on- con- consumer spending and ensuring that businesses stay open um, and whether or not this is going to have a long-term impact on the American and worldwide economy. We also talked about the implications on our government and whether the United States was better situated than China and their authoritarian regime to control the spread of corona. We also went into cancer and how it develops through that mutation of healthy cells and tumors and how they metastasize through the body. We went through preventing cancer, those lifestyle changes that Stephanos went into and who was at the most risk. We also talked about whether or not certain... Certain factors specifically made you more likely to get cancer. Um, Cell phones, the data was unclear. Microwaves, no. Sex does not cause cancer. Stress might cause cancer, but it's inconclusive. And then artificial sweeteners and burnt barbecued foods might cause cancer as well. Um, So definitely if you're eating those well-done burgers, do them in moderation. Then we talked about cancer treatments, um, specifically chemotherapy with the medicinal marijuana and the hair loss. We talked about how it's not very likely that Big Pharma is suppressing a cure for cancer. Um, And the difficulty with curing cancer because it's one, it's not one disease, but hundreds of diseases potentially with viral therapy and giving cancer to the cancer and how AI learning might be uh, a factor in this that a lot of people haven't considered. Stevanos, what, uh, any, any final words, any final thoughts on cancer? Did you, did you learn something today?
1: I mean, I learned a lot. I, I, I think, uh, I think I just learned how incredibly complicated, uh, cancer is and, and, um, yeah, I I think it's a, it's going to be it's a, I understand far better why we haven't uh developed a cure for cancer. But uh yeah, it's been an interesting conversation. Actually, I just got an interesting uh off topic but an interesting alert regarding the coronavirus. The Federal Reserve has lowered their uh, short-term interest rate all the way down to 0% in this um reinstating its buyback uh bond program, which is like unbelievable. So, we'll see. From an economic standpoint where we uh where we are in a few months. I'm very interested to see what that what that does for us.
0: Awesome. So Sevenos, as always, thanks so much for coming. Next episode I have a very special bonus episode planned for all of you. I know it's been pretty heavy the last few episodes, talking about conformity and talking about religion and and now talking about cancer and coronavirus. So a little bit lighter next week with a bonus episode. So keep it locked here on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for more from Nervous Habits. Stevanos, buddy, thanks so much for joining me for your third tour of duty with the pod. Hey,
1: thanks, for being, Appreciate
0: it. Yeah, well, um, listen, sorry to eat up so much of your time. I just looked at the looked at the meter here looks like we're up to about an hour and 45 minutes this might end up being the longest Nervous Habits episode ever so we'll see we'll, uh, but I might have to cut a lot because <laughs> but um, okay. certainly it's always a pleasure talking to you and I'm sure the listeners want to know will you be back a fourth time maybe when the Nervous Habits is into the 40s uh,
1: yeah definitely yeah. any anytime Ricky anytime mm-hmm. I want to be on with uh, uh, Brian Barnson next time
0: well you're going to have to make sure to diversify your specialty because we've already covered a lot of ground with you um, in episode 17, 23, and 31. But again, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, follow us on, on uh, Instagram at Nervous Habits Podcast, on Twitter, Nervous Habits underscore, and on YouTube, search Nervous Habits Podcast. And write to us at NervousHeavensPodcast at gmail.com. Let us know if you have a potential cure for cancer, if you, are, you know, we're able to, to dig through the weeds of what we were saying. And um, if you have any suggestions, any input, any research or literature that you've come upon that might help enlighten us, please share that with me at NervousHeavensPodcast at gmail.com. And remember, when you're drinking Coca-Cola, make sure not to go for Coke Zero because that aspartame might give you cancer. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Stay nervous.